This episode is brought to you by Netflix. Hold your carriage horses and tighten those corsets. Bridgerton is back. Longtime friends Colin Bridgerton and Penelope Featherington find themselves in quite the precarious situation. The wallflower is ready to bloom, but she needs Colin's help to find a marriage match. Has Penelope truly pushed aside her feelings for Colin? Will Colin realize his feelings before another suitor takes Penelope's hand? And will Penelope's secret identity as famed gossip writer Lady Whistledown destroy any chance she may have at love? This gentle reader can't wait to find out. Watch part one of Bridgerton, only on Netflix May 16th. A quick note before we get into the episode, Oversharing is a podcast for entertainment purposes only. It is not a medical podcast and does not constitute medical or psychological advice. Always seek the advice of your physician or mental health professional. Hello and welcome back to Oversharing. I'm Jordana Abraham. And I'm Dr. Naomi Bernstein. What's up? What's up? Another day, another week, weekend done. Yes. Ready to start. How's it going with you? So I had really, I guess I, be, this would be an interesting thing to get your moral take on. On yesterday's You Up episode, we did a Sunday special. And basically to give a little backstory and anyone who wants can listen to the full episode. It's on, I believe it's the April 16th Sunday special of You Up. I'm sure you'll listen after and I might get a different take after you hear the raw (laughs) materials than my the unfiltered version right (laughs) basically I had set up someone in the Betches office like someone who works Betches with one of Mike's friends Uh back in August okay and then basically they had like started dating and then it kind of he decided he didn't really want a relationship but they were still like kind of hooking up Mm-hmm. And became one of those situationship type things. Okay. And then, so she eventually, I convinced her to end it because I don't think those situations are oh, good. Oh, you were involved throughout the process with right. like what was going on. Okay. I tried to stay out of it, but I, you know. That's the hard part about it, any kind of setup, but go ahead. Okay. Right. But basically advised her to end it with him. Mm-hmm. And then... Like six weeks later, he came, he like messaged her and was like, I wanted to catch up. And she says to him, like, if nothing has changed, I really don't want to meet up. And he's okay. like, I don't really want to talk about it over text. But like, long story short, like, yes, my feelings have changed. So they go out and he's like, I feel like it would be a little ridiculous to be like, you're, you know, leaving this conversation like in a relationship. But like I think I'm gonna go into it this time, being more vulnerable or being whatever, and so they they leave that evening deciding to think about it. Okay. So two days later on Sunday, she calls him, and is about to be like, "All right, let's give it a shot." And before she can like even say that, he's like, "Before you say anything, I've been having a lot of anxiety about this the past two days, and I have essentially like changed my mind." So, right. She comes into the office on the following Wednesday and we're like talking all about this. And Jared's like, sit down. Let's just like get, let's just like mic her up. Oh my gosh. We'll okay. Get right into this. So we really go and through the whole thing. And it was like impromptu. Thing. She wasn't like preparing to talk about it. No. But, okay. We had a whole other episode like outline planned, but then okay. we were just like, I mean, what better? Right. And she was willing to sit down and talk to us about okay, it. And what cool. better right. dating podcast content than this yes. story yes a tale as old as time as we say um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, 
So we do it and then, you know, it's recorded and then I'm in my head. I'm like, oh, is this like a rude thing to do, you know, for Mike's friends? Like, mm-hmm. you know, so. He's anonymous though. Nobody. He's not. Yeah. An- okay. Well, I would say confident, confidential and anonymous are two slightly different things in terms of like no identifying information of him on the podcast. So anyone in like the general public is going to have no idea who he is. Right. But if you know him, if you know me, if you know him, if you know Mike. Like, people who, like, actually know him will know it's him. Right. But not, like, random listener Got in it. random city Got is going to have no... or Nor would they care, because it wouldn't be relevant. But I guess he didn't really think about that. And then when it came out, he's getting, like, made fun of by his friends, and it's, like, a thing. Then he's a little upset with me, slash... Um, but I think... It, but I gave him the heads up, and he was fine with it in the moment. Oh. Wait. So you said, we're going to do this... We're going to, I said, we're going to do this. And then I asked him for his side of the story and it was kind of the same. And then we were like kind of fighting, but (laughs) so it got a little, it got kind of messy, but he said it was fine about airing it. But then when it actually came out, I think he felt differently. Oh, okay. So I don't know. Morally, I feel a little conflicted because on the one hand, I'm like, I asked permission, no identifying information. Mm -hmm. Um, And he thinks he did nothing wrong. So like, what is the difference to him? Right. On the other hand, I'm kind of enjoying it. Like, and I can't <laughs> say that there's no side of me, if I'm being tr- totally honest with myself, that doesn't feel some sort of vindication in terms of my own past dating triggers and feeling like, you know, like yes. this behavior is being called out. And that ha- I've been through that many times with many different people. And so it's a particularly when I, I mean, right now, obviously, it, it doesn't affect me. But when I think back to those times, yeah, those were like very upsetting things that happened. Right, right. So I can't say I'm totally removed from feeling like any personal feeling of, of having done this. And it, part of it feels kind of nice. But on the other hand, I'm like, well, this is Mike's friend. Right. Is it the nice thing to do? Maybe so not. yes, I haven't listened to the episode. Was Jared like defending? Was it a total like bashing fest, or was no. did he have a side that was represented? I think it was fair. I don't think anyone was saying he was a monster or like an evil guy, but just that the act of going back to someone who ended something because you weren't giving them what they wanted, which was a relationship, without doing that, maybe because you're feeling a little lonely, or because of what you you're only thinking about yourself is like a selfish kind of move right so and i'm sure you guys went through this in the episode you and jared but i do you know i think there are two reasonable sides i know you have your personal you know you've been scorned and (laughs) hell hath no fury right and then i also think on the other part the other part of it is that like i set them up and i think that you owe a certain level of respect to someone who is the wife of your friend who who set you up with someone and did a nice thing for you and you deserve to, and you should be treating them with like a certain level of respect or kindness. So that's the other part. Yeah. I, I, it's a tough spot. Where, where does Mike stand on this? Is he just kind of like being Switzerland staying out of it or is he annoyed about the whole situation? No, I think he um, agrees that because we gave a heads up, it was like, right. You did ask permission, right? And feels bad, but also... So why don't you have him on and he can tell his side of the story? That's what I said. I don't know if if that would go well 
for him right. that might just make it worse. <laughs> right. <laughs> I did offer that, that the yeah. door is open. Yeah. He could tell his side of the story. And look, t- to be honest, in his defense, right? So, so you can let him know and he can listen to this. In his defense, I do think that sometimes people don't know until they're put in a position of really doing the thing and it's turning into a reality. I don't think he intentionally said, let me fuck with this woman and I'm going to go and I'm going to just see if I still can and I'm going to, you know, mess with her on purpose. I think he probably genuinely felt whatever he was saying that he felt. And then when the reality set in, he probably just realized, okay, wait, 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 not this. Like even this morning, Brooks was choosing between two pairs of shoes that he was going to wear to school. Okay. So he did, and we're running late. So he's like doing eeny, meeny, miny, mo, like in a very slow fashion. Okay. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo, the whole, the long version. Right. And then it comes out on the pair of shoes that he doesn't want. But he had to realize that when he was forced to pick a pair of shoes, it forced him to realize, I actually don't want those shoes. I want these. And he couldn't decide until he was like in a position where he was going to actually have to put those shoes on and realized, I don't want these shoes. But I believe that in the beginning, he was torn. And then he was forced on that pair of shoes by creating the commitment and going to the dinner and saying, let's try to make this work. And it wasn't until that moment where it was going to become a reality that he realized. Right. And I get that. And I'm again, I have sympathy for that. And I don't again, I don't think this person is a villain or a monster, but Brooks is five. (laughs) This man is 34. Um, And the shoes don't have a feeling about it either way. The shoes that he tried on and then we're like, actually, eh, like they're not going to be feeling upset and sad. All the wounds reopen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The shoes don't care either way if they're worn or they're not. Right. Right. So I think I understand. I could see the dilemma, but I think the age of your son is important here. (laughs) <laughs> and just you know i mean like if i'm saying if if brooks, right a maturity if brooks is, yes if brooks is 34 if brooks turns 34 and he's doing that with women i think it's uh we might need to have a conversation with i would i need to he might need to sit down with his aunt right and i would have this i would say the same thing to him that i said to this guy which is right. at a certain age at a certain level of dating you need to take others feelings into consideration more than you would. You can't right. just think about what we want when we're making a decision. We have to think about how that decision affects the people that we're kind of dangling this relationship in front of. Right. Right. Before he sat down for that, he should have been at a point where he was like, I'm so desperate for this woman that I cannot live without her. I'm so yeah. sure that I want her back, that there's nothing that's going to stop me, either that or keep moving. Exactly. Yeah. Or because because what you because what's in your head only matters to you. The other person cares about the outcome that's why they ended it the last time because it wasn't the outcome they wanted so right i don't know yeah i hear you uh that's a tough one like you said tale as old as time very relatable yeah Yeah. and i think that's why people really enjoyed the episode so if you haven't listened if you want to check it out it's on you up Naomi, you should i think you should listen to it i'm definitely gonna listen to it i want to hear just how bad the damage was yeah i mean this was the condensed version the episode is like an hour so okay (laughs) All right. Yeah. Let's check it out. It's April 16th, Sunday special episode of You Up. I'm, I would love to hear your take after. All right. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I've been to therapy for many years, and I have to say, whenever I'm going through something really tough, therapy is the way out for me. It helps me like break down the issue, get to the heart of it, and figure out ways to cope with whatever is stressing me out. Nothing has transformed my life quite as much as my therapy experience. I can't recommend therapy enough, and BetterHelp is a great way into it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Overshare today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Overshare. But should we get into this week's Overshare? Yeah, let's do this week's Overshare. We actually have a voicemail, which is great. I love when we get these. If you want to leave a voicemail, you can leave one at 646-363-6294. Or you can email us at oversharing at Betches.com. Hey, Dr. Naomi and Jordana, love the pod. I was listening to the being supportive turns emotionally draining episode, and it really resonated with me with something that occurs in my life. I am often dragged into these emotional, I don't even know how to say it, like these emotional entanglements with my family because I'm quote unquote good at it. And much like the other gal who was dealing with a family issue on vacation, I find that I'm often pigeonholed to be that person to mediate situations or being leaned on for the support to process emotions. I've also felt that role being placed on me for friends, and I know that it's part of my personality and something that I've encouraged because I want to help my friends, I'm caring, I in some ways, I'm sure, like, feel like this is a way that I'm able to support them and contribute emotionally to the friendship. But I was wondering if there were any helpful tips to kind of backing away and moving away from um, this role in my family and in my friendships, whether it be, like, tips and tricks or talk tracks I can use to kind of deflect the situation so that I'm not always the person that people go to to emotionally dump on. Thanks so much. Have a great day, girl. So I like this question a lot. And I immediately thought of you. Because, hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I personally, I feel like if I'm ever in a crisis or having like a really emotionally tough time. I mean, I've just had even in the past few weeks, like you're always someone I know will be like, able to handle that really well and give good advice and calm me down and make me feel a little better. And this, this email made me think like, Oh, maybe what if she's like not interested? In that? Oh, no. Yeah. I, I appreciate you thinking of me in that way. And I appreciate that you find my advice helpful. And I love when you personally and other people reach out. I think the issue is when it is like, repetitive and it's sort of like one thing after another you know if it mm -hmm. was like I think the issue that she's having perhaps it sounds like it's more like if it's you I know if you're calling me with something it's like a real deal thing it's not like a you know right I had a 
lost my keys and I'm having a meltdown. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. It's not like some silly thing and it's not going to be every single day a different thing. So I do think when that happens where it's like, or the same issue that you try to help somebody with and you listen and maybe give a little bit of advice and the advice isn't taken and the issue keeps repeating and then it's the same conversation over and over again. Obviously, as a therapist, that's different. But as a person, you know, a family member and a friend, that can be draining, you know, and it's like the repeated same thing over and over again, or a different version of the same thing over and over again, which sounds like maybe that's a bit of what she's going through. It actually feels great when someone calls you with a real thing and you can actually help them and then they get through it and they get to the other side and it's like it passes or it gets better or, you know, they grow or they change or they do things differently. Like that feels great. That's the reason why anyone in my field, I think, goes into it is to really help people. But when it feels like you're doing all the work and you're just like running on a treadmill and getting nowhere, that's when it starts to feel exhausting. Right. Or you're just repeatedly listening to someone vent and then you feel drained also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I would love to offer her some advice. I don't know. I mean, I would also love if there's anyone out there, because we kind of dealt with this issue a few weeks ago, um, the the email or the episode that she's referring to. And I, I'd love to hear the other side. If there's somebody out there who's going through something and they've had someone in their life tell them basically like, this is too much for me. Like, I can't handle this, or even if it's just a, you know, kind of like a personality issue where you're highly sensitive and you're easily offended and you're constantly having these issues, different varying issues that start to feel very heavy for you. How do the people in your life handle it? And have you ever, if there's somebody out there who's had a friend say, I love you, but I just, I need a break or I can't do this for you anymore. I'm curious to see what that's like on the other side. Right. I mean, Personally, I guess that would be a fear of mine when struggling with like the and I remember thinking this like when I was in my to bring it back to a situationship, my own like on again, off again thing. Ruminating, right. Yeah. And in my head I was like, you know, if something minor happened with that, I was like kinda wanted to tell everyone. But then in my head I was like, I like, am I my being annoying or am I like is everyone sick of hearing this? Yeah, I always they probably knew. were, and yeah. you probably were. And that's how you know it's like you're in something that you need to do something about. You right. Know? And that's kind of the point where you do, I think, seek a therapist. Yes. Because you're like, that's when a therapist, I think, is the most necessary. When you're, you keep being brought back to the same patterns, and you keep being upset with the results, and you've already hashed it out with everyone you know, and you just keep doing the same thing, then it's like, what is going to get me out of this pattern. But you kind of have to be somewhat self-aware enough, I think, to realize that that's happening. Yes. Or like this emailer is asking for it, it may be you're really helping out your friend when you tell them or your family member when you tell them, look, we've had a bunch of conversations about this. It doesn't sound like anything that we're talking about is helping or it doesn't sound like talking about it is helping. It doesn't sound like I'm really helping maybe a therapist could help you more than I can. You know, I I love you. I want to be here for you, but it doesn't really sound like it's working. So, and, and maybe that might be 
the light bulb that they need to say, you know what, I am repeating myself. I am getting a little annoying and repetitive, and maybe I do need to seek out someone who's going to help me just get unstuck. That's one of the biggest things of, you know, benefits of therapy. You're stuck. You're repeating. It's like a repetitive, whether it's literally repeating thoughts that you cannot get out of your head or repeating behavior patterns that you cannot get out of. When you notice that there's like, it's almost, and it's funny because I always talk about, you know, brain connections and connections in your brain and misfiring of neurons where it's like a, you've all, everyone's seen someone that has like a tick or Mm -hmm. a twitch or when people have brain dysfunction, they almost are repetitive or people that are on the spectrum sometimes can have this like repetitive thought patterns that keep them very stuck in the same content and the same repetitive thoughts. So our brains are on a a whole spectrum of, you know, from clear to cluttered, from, you know, getting nice, fresh, new creative thoughts to being stuck in the same exact repetitive thought patterns. So we we're all on that spectrum. And sometimes we get stuck in a pattern of just repeating thoughts over and over again. So if you're noticing that, that's a good time to say, hey, I need to seek out therapy to kind of get unstuck from these repeating thoughts that my brain is just continuously firing the same thought patterns. And that's when you need to try to help have someone help you access a new creative thought that's going to get you unstuck. And that's why one of the best things you can do when you're feeling anxious or depressed or stuck in thoughts is do something creative because it helps you kind of just like change the pathway, the neural pathway. Now I'm going to, you know, paint something and I'm not, I'm going to have a different thought than the thought about why this guy did this thing and how I can get him to do the thing I want him to do, whatever that is. So long story short, I think maybe telling a friend therapy might be better than what I can do for you might be like if some one of your friends actually did say to you at that time, look, Jordan, we've talked about this a lot of times. He's not changing. You're not changing. Maybe therapy might help you get unstuck from whatever this is. It mm-hmm. might have saved you a couple of months of waiting till you finally got therapy and found your way out of that. It's possible. I do think it's hard. Like it's, it's one of those things where unless the person really wants to change or really wants is really they have to be fed up with the outcome like enough themselves. Yes. yes. Because someone could have said that to me earlier and I would have still been like, well maybe it'll be different this time. Right. You know, in my head and I wasn't if you're not ready to feel that way, I think that sometimes it's kind of like you could say it as many times as you want and the person the person you know, you have to want it yourself. You see this a lot with couples who, you know, the one person wants the other person to go to therapy or one person wants someone else. It's like, you can't, if I think if you're going to therapy because someone told you to, it doesn't usually work. Totally. Well, here's my other question also is like, for people in those repeated patterns, is there anything that anyone could say, is there an option where they don't need therapy or is like, are these thoughts really difficult to be undone or to be changed without the help of a licensed professional. Yeah, I think there's a few, you know, basic steps that you can take before that. 
that you can try on your own, one of which being mindfulness. And what is mindfulness? It's choosing where your mind goes with intention and making it the present because the present is usually okay. When you're in these situationships or somebody's struggling with an issue, a lot of times, unless you're really in the depths of grief or loss or trauma or something like that, it's usually like a fear-based thing. Like what if this happens or what if this doesn't happen? So you could try these things first. Mindfulness practice, which is like, okay, I'm going to train my brain to go where I want it to go. And that's what you do in therapy. A lot of that is like, okay, where's my brain going? Is that rational? Where do I want it to go? And I'm going to practice you know, this new neural pathway. So you could try starting with mindfulness. Exercise is another way to kind of shake up your system if you're depressed or you're feeling low energy and that's you know a perfect environment for these negative anxiety producing thoughts to grow is in a lethargic state so if you can move your body and get different you know endorphins flowing through your bloodstream that's helpful and another one is like i said creativity so if you can take up learning an instrument training a different part of your brain painting, um, doing something that's something different with your brain than what you typically do. So there are these basic ways that you can really, you know, reading an inspirational book that's going to get a new train of thought in there and kind of help, you know, do so. So there's some basic stuff that regular people can try before you want therapy. But if all you're trying is calling 15 numbers in your phone until somebody picks up, Right. And then repeating the same story that you repeated the day before, that's probably not going to make it better. That's not really helping. Yeah. And I guess for this person, besides suggesting therapy, I guess I'm trying to think what else she can do. Yeah. I think she could set boundaries for her, like in her own mind. She doesn't have to necessarily say them to these people, but I think she can. And you've suggested this, I think, before. Like in your mind, you can say, okay, I have. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I mean, she could communicate this is one option. She could say, look, you know, I'm feeling overwhelmed too. I'd love to hang and just like be together, but I don't really want to talk about this because it make it's like I'm too overwhelmed with my own stuff, but I'm I don't want to not be with you. I don't want to not spend time with you, but let's just distract. Right? She can offer like I'm here for you, but I can't be here for you in this way where we're All like the time. having yeah. these deep dive conversations all the time. And she could say, maybe, you know, even if she wants to say what her boundary is, maybe like a half an hour a week, we can talk about this stuff or whatever it is. Either she can communicate that or even for herself, she could know, okay, I'm going to, I have a half an hour in my energy bank that I can dedicate to this person and their issues. And then after that, she can do the thing, a couple of useful tips. I'm sure a lot of listeners out there have tried this, where you pick up and you say, hey, I only have 10 minutes, but I wanted to pick up and say hi, like off the bat. Right. So they know the second you answer the phone, we're not doing this today. If they're respectful of boundaries. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, or you may have to just be like, sorry, really got to go. And eventually, if it, they're really not respecting it, they just click, hang right. up, you know? But I think if you give them that heads up at the beginning of the phone call, like this isn't going to be one of those right now. Hour long sesh, seshes. Yeah. Another thing that might make it a little bit easier and less energy depleting 
either while you're on that half hour budget that you give yourself a week for that, or just in general is you don't have to solve this for this person. Like you can just listen and you can say, you know, a lot of times I'll say to people, it sounds like you know what you need to do here because most people do, you know, they don't really even want advice. And I think sometimes the listener, the empath, whatever, the person on the other end of the phone is sort of depleting a lot of energy, twisting their brain up to try to help the person come up with the right thing to get them to change so this doesn't happen again. And that's probably not even what they want. They just want to speak their feelings out loud and have you hear them. And you don't really need to do much other than listen and just say kind of like, oh, you know, either it sounds like you know what you want to do here or something that feels that sounds kind really of, hard. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to fix it or change, change it for them. And I think that might, or even just putting, asking a question, putting the ball back in the world. What do you think you could do that would make this feel better? And then just drop it in their court again. And you don't have to do so much thinking and strategy. That's the frustrating part is like when you're trying to help someone and you're twisting your whole brain up to try to give them some suggestions, they're probably not going to take it anyway. And then you right. just feel so much more depleted. Well, that's almost like the most annoying part to me, I find, when it's like, you keep giving the same advice, the person doesn't actually take it, but they keep, then it becomes almost like toxic for you. Because it's like, your time is almost like wasted. Yes. When the person's almost just asking for the advice to ask and not really to take it, then it feels like, well, I just keep having to, I'm not even helping you because you're mm -hmm. not doing anything. And then it almost just sounds like you want you want to hear what my advice is and then not take it. It feels like you're wasting my time. Totally. Yeah. So and so that's why another thing to do is just be like, I'm going to take, I have no horse in this race. I'm not going to offer advice because then I'm going to want them to take my advice. And then if they don't, that's going to be more frustrating and energy depleting. So I'm just going to listen, maybe ask a couple of questions, put the ball back in their court, let them talk, give them their half hour to say what they need to say, but I do think she can set some boundaries for like the amount of time that she spends, the time of day. Like there might be certain times of day where she's like, I'm, I can't during work or I can't after nine o'clock. That's my unwind time or, you know, whatever her time of day is or amount of time. And she can either just do it or she can communicate it. Um, but how to, I think a great way to get out of it is just lay it out there up front or tried and true, don't pick up the phone. That's true. Text and say, sorry, like- I'm out. Right, <laughs> I can't talk right now. Crazy day. Yeah, and you can offer a time later that you can talk. And that also sometimes is beneficial. I find that for people, sometimes when you kind of force them to sit in it and realize that it will eventually pass and it won't feel so urgent later. Like sometimes I'll have patients that message me with whatever they message me with and I'll check back in the next day and it's almost always 99% of the time, like pretty much gone by the next day. They didn't need like an emergency session to talk about whatever it was. They just needed to realize, okay. And then they start to notice this pattern of like, oh, you know what? This feels so urgent, but if I'm not 
I don't necessarily need a session for this to go away. I can also just wait patiently and this will get better on its own. And that's the same thing for your, these friends where you can say, I can't talk right now. I can call you at seven when I'm off work. And then by seven, they're probably not even right. going to need to talk about it anymore. They've already solved the issue. or they And you're giving them the gift of like realizing that, that they can, you know, deal with it without needing to do the whole repetitive rumination thing, that it will go away with the conversation, the repetitive conversation, and it will go away without the repetitive conversation, which they won't be able to figure out if you're always constantly available. So you're right. kind of doing them a favor in that way too. By saying, I'm here, but I'm, I'll be here at this time. I can talk at this time. Help them help themselves by ignoring them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you feel that way with your kids too. Like, Sometimes if you're not there to immediately solve the thing, they can probably figure it out on their right. own. Right. Yeah. I always say, go ahead and do your best by yourself. And if you still need my help in 10 minutes or 15 minutes, then come back and, and I'll help you. So I remember always the like scary thing of like, where your mom would tell you to go get something. And then if you'd be like, I can't find it. And she'd be like, well, if I come in there and I find it. Oh my. <laughs> like <laughs> That literally <laughs> happened yesterday. <laughs> You're going to be in big trouble. Uh, yeah. We had these family photos and Lila was looking all over. She had the whole outfit picked out and then like, we're about to leave and she can't find it anywhere. And I told her exactly where to look. And she came back and she said, it's not there. And I went right to the spot. It was, I mean, so frustrating. It was right where I said it was going to be. Classic. Yeah. Classic. Summer is just around the corner, so it's time to say goodbye to those jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces I want that will keep me looking fresh year after year. I got the most beautiful silk skirt from Quince. I am so excited to wear it. It fits amazing. It is so well-priced for the high quality it is. It looks so expensive, but it's actually quite affordable. Quince has amazing items like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman by partnering directly with top factories and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, so you can feel good about what you're wearing on every level. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash oversharing for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash oversharing to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash oversharing. Let's move on to the Betchesist email where we answer your ethical dilemmas. Be sure to send in your Betchesist questions to oversharing at Betchesist.com and we'll weigh in. Hi, Naomi and Jordana. I love the podcast so much. Thanks for all the top-notch advice. I'm wondering the best way to deal with a scenario that I find myself in often. I'm 27 and getting my PhD, so I've been in school for three years and have two more to go. That is a lot of school. Mm. Wow. I get a living stipend while I'm in school, but it is really just that, a living stipend, and I have to be budget conscious. Most of my friends have pretty decent jobs and more expensive lifestyles at this point. I find it really hard to navigate things like dinners and going out. I want to be involved, but I find myself having to be the one that has to ask for itemized receipts because I only order what I can afford, etc. This ends up giving me a lot of anxiety because I hate having to ask to do these types of things, but if I don't, then I have anxiety about how it doesn't fit into my tight budget. 
I have pretty wealthy parents, so I think it is assumed that they are helping me, even though I've said that they aren't. And if I'm really in a pinch, they would. But most of the time, they have a do-it-yourself mentality. And when I've had to ask for help before for things like car repairs, it becomes a tool of control. That being said, I don't think asking for money for espresso martinis and sushi with my friends would be well-received. Realistically, I know I'm not going to run out of money. I have made it work through three-fifths of my small budget, but I can't seem to stop worrying about finances and feeling upset when people ask me to split a bill when I got a $15 app and they got a $40 entree and make well over double what I do. I don't expect to be subsidized, but I also don't want to pay for more than my share. I'm conflicted because things like this seem so petty and trivial, so part of me feels silly and like I should just suck it up. But the other part of me sees that it does add up if I do this every time I go out with friends. Do you have any advice for dealing with this temporary but uncomfortable situation? Thank you so much for all your help. I really appreciate it. Budget batch. All right. This is a great question because I think people are on both ends of this. Probably mm-hmm. listeners on the end. Feel strongly. Like, yeah. Like, oh my gosh, just split the bill seven ways. Like, why do we have to go through the entire bill and pick it apart? And then the other side where you're like, I didn't order that, so I shouldn't have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. One piece of advice that I think might be helpful as a start would be for her to set a budget for herself of like what her recreational spending is going to be and literally go through that so that she can know, is this like a free floating anxiety and is it really, you know, something that she needs to crack down on and when Versus like, yes, I've set aside my budget. I have like $400 a month that I can spend on this. I've hit my $400 limit. And now I really have to, you know, make, or maybe if your budget's 400, when you get to 300, then you're sort of like, okay, I've got to tighten up. I only have a hundred dollars left. So it can make it feel more concrete instead of this general floating financial anxiety that she has all the time, every single time, even if maybe that month she does have a little bit more wiggle room and she hasn't gone out that much. She can enjoy a dinner out where she's like, you know what? Wow, I have $350 left on my budget. I'm just going to go out and either order whatever I want or split the check and not have to feel like stressed out about asking for the itemized bill so she can kind of know where she stands with that. Might be- right. A helpful start. I think that's a great practical solution. I didn't even think about this as it pertains to like whether or not her anxiety about money could be like, I mean, I'm sure it's real. It sounds like she doesn't have that much money, but you know, could be more because I think money is just like a kind of triggering, stressful thing mm-hmm. for a lot of people anyway, especially when, like she said, money was used to control her, which she, she sort of alludes to when it was done with her parents. I think totally. that gives you. A little bit of a weird attitude towards money. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm sure it's like based in reality of not making that much money, but there might be other factors that she might want to examine that are going into it, whether like the scarcity is that intense or if it, she could be potentially a little bit more relaxed about it. I don't right. know. We obviously don't have access to her actual finances. Right. But maybe but I think- every now and then she can enjoy a dinner where she's like, you know what? I'm not going to stress this one. And that might give her a little relief and her friends a little relief where she's not always going to be the one, you know, or she may find like, if I want to go out as much as I do, I have to be the one itemizing the bill every single time. Right. And I actually, I mean, I'm kind of on the team of like, if you're going to do that, it kind of takes it, it takes a lot of the relaxation out of a relaxing dinner. Mm -hmm. So if I were her, just practically speaking, I think I would say like, 
If her friend suggests a restaurant, she could say, I'm really on a budget. Do you want to just grab pizza? Mm-hmm. Like, and then, or go somewhere where you pick up the food and you, you sit Like, it's right. okay to opt out of activities because they're too expensive for you. I do think that, like, nickel and diming the activity to, like, make it more about what you're spending sort of takes away from the enjoyment of whatever you're doing. So if it were me, I prefer to just do things that I know that I can afford mm-hmm. and not go to things that I can. And like you said, maybe she gets to the end of the of the month and she's like, oh, I actually have um, enough money to do this. I can order. I don't. And again, you're, then you don't even have to be looking at the menu and looking for the cheapest item to order to figure out like right. the smallest amount that you can afford and then having to itemize it. I just think that will make the whole activity more stressful. So if you can go into it being like, we're going to split it. And like, I try not to go to anything that I can't afford. Right. Generally. Right. And I get her friends, like maybe they want to go to the nicer activities, but I would be very shocked if, if you were like, do you want to go grab a salad for lunch and we'll socialize and hang out that way? Or I can't make the dinner, but I'll meet you guys after at a bar. Yes. I think that would be fine. You can be totally honest about you're just like on a budget and you can't really afford to go out that much. And if they're fr- your friends, they should probably understand that. Totally. Yeah, that was going to be, I, I agree with that idea. You can opt out and it doesn't mean you can't do the whole night. You can skip the dinner if it's too expensive and meet out after, or you can offer to pregame at your place or something like that. If that's, you know, you can try to um, affect the plans a little bit more or ask. The other option that I thought might be helpful along those lines is the vulnerability of reaching out to one or two friends in the friend group to let them know what you're feeling. You know, like I don't, I have FOMO. I don't want to miss out from stuff with you guys, but I also don't want to be annoying with the itemized bills. And, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think one thing she could do is she can say to these friends, if she's really at the end of her budget and she can't afford it, let them know, like, this is how we feel. And then they can kind of help support her in this thing of like, oh, well, you know, Jenny she only offered, the right, right, something where they can kind of be on her side where she doesn't feel like, you know, she doesn't feel like she's alone in this. And she has one or two advocates that are going to be like, oh, well, she only ordered a salad. So j- let her just pay the tip or, you know, whatever, just something where they, she can kind of have advocates so she doesn't feel that pressure of like the bills coming and then she has to have that awkward moment of like, well, I only ordered, you know, whatever, which just feels uncomfortable. So if she can open up and be vulnerable with some friends, maybe they can help her in these situations um, where she did maybe only order a drink or an app or whatever. Yeah. And I think most people would be receptive to that and not like, well, then don't come. Right. I think that they would keep that in mind or be like, forward thinking in terms of that yeah and if she if i don't know how big her friend group is but if there's three of them and if it's her and two friends that are kind of like on team some people don't have the money it might make it easier than her doing it by herself yeah i think so i think that's a good those are good practical steps all right let us know how it goes Spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine it's our yearly collective warm-up peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up 
This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, tap into your power, and get ready for summer. I take their yoga classes at least twice a week. I also love their core classes. I love that I can take it anywhere I go. If I'm traveling, I can always do a class. You can filter the classes by ones that don't need any equipment. I'm looking to get healthy. I'm looking to like feel good. And Peloton just makes it so easy. Peloton accommodates your schedule with a variety of class lengths to choose from. Even if you only have five minutes, Peloton has classes for you giving you the flexibility you need to move your body. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and mood. If you can't run, take a walking class. If you want to level up, go to their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Or try yoga if you just need to ground yourself. Move at your own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take the guesswork out of working out so you can jump right in, keeping your fitness journey fresh every day. Peloton has everything you need to get where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get a head start on somewhere with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. If you're like me and your CD organizer was filled with, now that's what I call, discs that your dad literally burned for you, you're a millennial. And if you're a millennial, it's time to add Clarins Multi-Active Cream to your daily routine. I have been using the Multi-Active Cream for a few weeks now, and I can already tell the difference. This cream does it all. It makes my fine lines and my pores look smaller, and my skin actually feels hydrated, which is really important for these like in-between seasons. I actually love all of their products. I'm a huge Clarins fan. I've been using them for years. You've been adulting a while, so the daily stress of trying to keep your life together can cause stress aging. Yeah, it's a thing. The good news, Europe's number one skincare line has a solution you can trust. Rooted in nature and innovated with science, Clarins has a long legacy of creating industry-first, plant-forward products. Using a skin charger complex made of 2% niacinamide and C. holly bio-extract, Clarins Multi-Active Cream has been clinically proven to target the first visible signs of aging by smoothing lines and wrinkles, refining pores, evening tone, and texture and strengthening the skin's moisture barrier. While multi-active cream can bring back the golden age of boy bands, it can de-stress your skin. Go to clarins.com slash oversharing and get multi-active day and night cream for 10% off, a free welcome gift, plus free shipping on your first order. That's C-L-A-R-I-N-S dot com slash oversharing with promo code oversharing. Clarins.com slash oversharing with promo code oversharing. All right, let's set some intentions. For those of you who might not know, intentions is where a listener writes in with, you know, repeated pattern thoughts that they're having. And Dr. Naomi is able to come up with some literal intentions that they can say out loud to help guide them towards like a better mental state. Hi, Jordana and Dr. Naomi. I absolutely love the pod. It's definitely a highlight of every Tuesday. I'm writing in hoping for an intention. I sometimes find myself getting caught up in comparing myself to others, especially comparing my relationship with my partner to my friend's relationship with her partner. We're both currently in long-term relationships, and I've noticed some possible toxic codependency in my friend's relationship, although I'm no expert on relationship dynamics. For example, my friend has admitted to me that she needs an engagement ring to feel like her boyfriend really loves her, so they're planning on getting engaged within the next few months. They're also currently in the process of buying a house at age 22 and are about to adopt a dog. Oh my God, where do these people live? (laughs) (laughs) What I was doing at 22. I know, seriously, same. (laughs) My boyfriend and I have talked about getting married, but we both agree we're not ready as of right now. I find my pattern thoughts to be feeling my relationship isn't real because we don't want to get married yet and feeling like we should be doing the same things my friend is doing now. 
I know I'm happy with my boyfriend and where my relationship currently is at. Sometimes I'm worried I'm behind where I'm supposed to be. I also feel like their relationship isn't the healthiest, so I know I shouldn't compare. But I still find myself worrying there's something wrong in my relationship because we're not ready to get married or buy a house together. I would love to set some intentions and affirmations to help me feel more secure in myself and our decisions as a couple. Thank you in advance for any advice. Sincerely, Insecure Betch. It's a great email. I think besides the fact that her friends are 22, this is very relatable. Right. <laughs> like, I right. almost wish that she said, like, 30, because right. I feel like that actually feels like, I think most people that you would survey would say to feel like you need to be doing all of those things at 22 is feels a little crazy. But right. again, I don't know what their specific circumstances are. But I think this relatable, this feeling that she's talking about of comparing your life, comparing your relationship, comparing where you're at, what stage you're at, I relate to that so much. I feel anxiety about that so much, wanting to be, not feel like left behind or that I'm I'm not where I'm supposed to be. So I think this is a great email on that front. Totally. And I do think it's interesting that the power of these comparisons can happen at any age, even in something that seems as unreasonable as two 22-year-olds buying a house and getting engaged. So, or, you know, I think it just goes to show. And I think a lot of times I've heard this where you live with a roommate who has a partner and you feel like if they spend X amount of time together, it makes you feel like you need to be spending X amount of time with your partner. Or if they go on vacation together, you need to be going on vacation. Or if they've met the parents, you guys need to be meeting the parents, like all these things because you have a front row seat to their relationship. Yeah, And I remember even like getting engaged or like not being engaged and being like, well, this couple was dating for a year and they're engaged. Yes. And I we've been dating for three years. And like what is what like what's going on? Like there must be something wrong here. And right. I'm sure that this happens a lot. I feel like I hear this with like people and their kids. Like they didn't hit this milestone and this person's like hit it two months ago. And what's yes. the you know, just I feel like you're only as happy a lot of the time, it feels like you're only as happy as where you are compared to your immediate circle. Yes. It's which true. is sad. Because like is. there's so many people and so many experiences and so many, like the sample size is so small, but it feels like everything. Right. And there is this piece, and I think this is what she's struggling with, is that he must not love me as much as her boyfriend loves her. Because he, they're ready to propose. They're ready to, you know, buy a house. He's ready to do all these commitment things. So it must mean that my boyfriend, you know, doesn't love me as much. But I do think that sometimes even the way she phrases it, like, I can't feel secure until I'm engaged. You know, she might be onto something that it's not the healthiest of dynamics if they can't just kind of enjoy their relationship at 22 without feeling like they need to lock it down in this very moment. Right. But then that leads you to another place of it's like, oh, do I have to talk shit about all my friends' relationships to make myself feel better about my own? Yes, yes, yes. So I don't think that's the answer. (laughs) I don't think going and like telling yourself that they, you know, that they have a codependent relationship is the answer. I think it's just in you, it's hard work, but kind of turning your mind to the little moments of your relationship. Um, So one of the, one of the, 
mantras, the intentions that I came up with for her that I thought might be helpful. And for a lot of people, because it's so hard to release control over the future. Like I think when I prescribe mindfulness for some people, it feels like twitchy because they're like, if I'm thinking about now, I'm not preparing for the next thing and I'm going to end up screwed. So what I wrote down for her is by being present, I'm positively shaping what happens next. So she can feel sort of like she's in the moment, but she's not totally relinquishing control over the future. And by being present, you are positively shaping what happens next because you are being very fully engaged in your current life with your boyfriend. Because I've seen this a lot too, and I'm sure you have seen this, where people almost destroy their relationship because there's all they're talking about is when they're going to get engaged and who's gotten married and we're not married and these people are taking a vacation. Why aren't we taking a vacation? And that just kind of ruins the vibe of the relationship. If you can enjoy going for a walk after dinner and sitting and snuggling on the couch and not have to be constantly talking about all the things that you want your boyfriend to be doing differently and all the ways you want him to commit more than what he's committing to now, he's going to enjoy the relationship more. You're going to enjoy the relationship more. And you are positively shaping what happens next by being kind of a an open flow of positive energy instead of constantly irritable about what is not happening in the relationship. Right. I think that's a that's a great point. It's going to make your actual relationship stronger if you can be in the moment of where you are. Not to say and you can still do that while having plans. I think there's also this fear of like if I'm only in the now, if I'm only enjoying this moment, then I can't plan for the future. And I think you can do both, but maybe without the like deep intense attachment that you hold to it. Right. I mean, I do think there's so much freedom. Like I think about this listener and the fact that she is 22, but even if she was 32, there's a lot of freedom that can come from releasing the need to be constantly planning and strategizing because once that happens, it's like you're opening that valve and it's very hard and you're it's very, very hard to close it again. Like once you do, as you know, and I do too, long ago, once you get engaged, it's like, okay, now we're engaged. When's the wedding? Then, you you know, you have to plan it and all the planning of the bachelorette and the bridal shower and the wedding and the wedding party. It just like becomes so all consuming. And sometimes it's nice to just say, I'm just going to enjoy this relationship without the constant need for future planning and strategizing on how I'm going to get this outcome that I find desirable because it never ends. Then you get married, then you want to buy the house, then you're spending all your time looking on Zillow and looking up houses and strategizing budgeting. And, you know, just some of that just doesn't sound like a blast all the time. And you have the privilege now, the gift of being 22, or even if you're 23 or 24, the friend's 22. I don't know how she, how old she is, but it's a really beautiful gift to just be able to be in this relationship without any of the, I know people look forward to doing all of that with a partner, the planning and the creating a life together and the, you know, strategizing, but 
if this is your person and you are going to end up together forever, you're going to be doing that in perpetuity between the house and then the baby and the baby's room and then the preschool and then the college. And that you're always going to, it's a beautiful gift of a place that she's in where she doesn't, all she has to plan is what fun activity they're going to do next. And that is a really lovely place to be in, I think. Yeah. I'm trying to think that like the fears that come with doing that though, it just feels like aimless, I guess. But I guess also at the other end of it though, what are you racing towards? Mm -hmm. Like what's the end? There is no end. Right. Well, I guess for a lot of people, the end is the partner and the house and the potential kids maybe, or Mm -hmm. whatever. That's the end. But then Then we get there and then that's not the end. It's not. There's always going to be something else that you're trying to go for or get to or whatever. That's why I always, I I talk about in my group therapy sessions, I, I match the groups up, not with people that are all in the same stage of life. Like when I do my groups, I have people that are single in groups with people that are married and groups with people that are divorced and groups with people that have kids and all together so that you can start to see there's no magic pill that you can take, which is marriage and kids. That's not going to solve all your problems. You're going to get those things and then there's going to be other issues that come up within those things. So it's nice to see that getting married and having kids doesn't solve everything. So I think for this listener to just be able to, you know, I, th- I do think part of it is a relationship security issue where she feels like my boyfriend must not love me as much or be committed if he's not willing to do these things. And it might just take a matter of you talking to your boyfriend and letting him know, hey, you know, they're doing this. I'm not really ready for that. I know you're not either, but sometimes it makes me feel um, insecure about our future or how much you love me. And he might say, look, I want to be with you for a really long time. I can't imagine my life without you. I love spending time together. I want to never stop spending time together or however he feels. And that might make her feel better than needing an engagement ring in order to feel those things. Right. That's a good point. So do you have any intentions for her to repeat when she starts to compare and feel bad about her own situation? Sure. So, One is by being present on positively shaping what happens next. So she can kind of stay in that place where she can say being present is productive, right? Right. Which a lot of people don't feel like it is. And the other one, which I don't know how you feel about it. I'll read it and you can see what you think. I'm grateful for and will enjoy the season of our relationship without the need for planning or strategizing, which might feel difficult, but I think it's, it's, kind of that thing of like, there is going to be a point where I like, I know my life has a lot of planning and strategizing. I think your life probably has a lot of planning and strategizing. And before you're in this life partnership with this person where you're making all these big decisions together, it's a really nice season of your relationship where you're kind of free from that. And if you guys are together forever, that's going to happen. So you might as well enjoy and be grateful for this season of your relationship without the need for planning and strategizing. So, and then the last one's just a general mindfulness one, which I wrote, I'm exactly where I'm meant to be when I'm present 
in this moment. So, you know, any of those I think would be helpful for her to appreciate what she has. And it is tempting because the friend is right there and their relationship seems to be in her face, but you are right where you need to be with this person, free from all the planning and strategizing and just able to enjoy each other and not have all these joint decisions that you have to make together. And those things are difficult. So, and they will come eventually if you stay together. Right. And like you said, if you focus on now and making your relationship as strong as it can be now, those things will be easier. Exactly. Going forward. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Good luck. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches. And honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash betches. Let's play some Triggered. Triggered is where we read people's scenarios where something triggers them and we uh, judge them for how triggered we think they should be. Scale of one to ten. All right. Let's get to judging. Okay. Dear Jordana and Dr. Naomi, this morning I had an encounter at daycare drop-off that really grinded my gears, and I figured writing in would be a great way to vent. I parked my car and got my one-year-old daughter and three-year-old son out of the car seats, then put my son on the sidewalk and held my daughter while I grabbed her backpacks and jackets. Then we walked to the daycare's front door, falling into step behind a dad with his two-year-old son. It was cold outside, and my son, being a toddler, wouldn't put on his jacket. I told him to get inside quickly so he didn't freeze. The dad in front of us opened the door into the daycare's vestibule, and his son walked through. My son followed him, taking my advice to get in the door quickly. The dad continued holding the door open, so I walked through with my daughter in one arm and their backpacks in the other, smiling and saying thank you. I feel like I don't even need to say this, but holding the door open for other parents, especially other parents holding their children, is extremely common at daycare. Then the other kid opened the second door, which goes from the vestibule into the lobby. I was impressed that such a small child could open such a big door, so I said to the dad, wow, he's so strong. 
The dad smiled, grabbed the door, and held it open once again. His son walked through, followed by me and my kids, and finally the dad. Inside the lobby, I set down the backpacks and got my kids situated. While I was putting my daughter's hair in a ponytail, the dad and his kids started down the hallway toward his classroom. When they were about seven feet away from us, the dad said to his son loudly, Wow, it's so weird that other families assume I'm holding the door open for them when I'm really just holding it open for you. (laughs) Am I the crazy one for thinking it was okay to walk through a door this man was holding open, especially after my three-year-old sprinted through and especially while my hands were full and it would have been difficult for me to open the door myself? Was he planning to shut the door in my face, leave my small jacketless child out in the cold and have me put down the backpacks, get out of the daycare door scanner and open it myself while he was standing right there? Wouldn't it have been more awkward slash possibly rude for me to say to this dad, I see you're holding the door open for your son and my son is currently running through it. Do you mind if me and my daughter walk (laughs) through too? How triggered can I be? Nine. I am really annoyed at this. This is crazy to me. The dad just sounds like kind of an asshole. I don't know. Why would you even say that to your kid? Like, what is your, what is the lesson there for your kids? Don't hold the door open for anyone. I don't, I am so confused by that behavior. I don't know what that is. I guess the lesson is don't assume people are helpful. I don't, (laughs) I don't, I do not know. This is crazy to me. I totally validate this. Holding the door open, I think is such a low lift, nice way to show a little bit of community and caring. You're literally holding it anyway. It takes no extra, the smallest amount of extra effort right. to hold it for an extra Especially 10 Especially for seconds. someone holding a child? Crazy. Crazy. This, this one, I feel like, is almost like we had one a few months ago that was like the woman who's was on the airplane and the other woman started like answering the questions on her screen like she was playing a game and she just started randomly like answering her you know wordle questions or whatever it was i'm like that's just crazy to me i just don't understand like you know common decency this is it's and it's such a poor lesson for the kid like i am so proud of my yourself right yeah when they hold the door for people i'm just like wow that was what a what a nice you know what a nice gesture that was so sweet i highly encourage that well, just Yeesh. think about how miserable this dad must be if yeah. that's like something that really sets him off is holding the door for like a mother with her two children. Right. And he was clearly not in such, I could see if maybe not even, but if he was in such a rush that that extra 10 seconds of holding the door was going to make him late, then he wouldn't have had the time to give his son an entire lesson on why you shouldn't hold the door for people. And this is nuts. Oh, I'm sorry that people like this are out there. It's just. Not good for society. Because for her, it probably makes her feel like, oh, like, am I rude? Or this, you said, like, the opposite of a sense of community. Like, I guess we're all out for ourselves. And, like, to assume that someone would be looking out for me is is a weird moral failing on my part. Right, right. And the fact that she even had to twist herself up to come up with the potential other alternatives of what maybe she should have done. Like ask him, may my son enter please? Like I've never seen that ever. Right. You make eye contact, you say thank you and you walk through the door. Yeah. Makes me kind of sad that that even happened. I have a friend who is from where we grew up and she lives in Tokyo now Mm -hmm. and she was in 
for the week and we had dinner and she was telling me how like in Tokyo, there's just such a strong sense of like community and lack of like individualism there that like she was telling the story how she left her wallet in a cab there right. and she was like freaking out because she had to you know she had something to do that she needed the wallet for and she was like he had the cab had dropped her off at a shopping center and so she tried to call and like the the i guess it was an uber that was sort of a cab and she tried to call and it, well, they weren't answering and so but then all of a sudden there was like there was a, a guard that came and found her and it was like four different people that court that the cat driver Aww. came back and like found someone else like a security guard there to go find her to go bring her the wallet it was like and she's like that's just a common thing there like if you no one steals things like if you leave something in in somewhere they're gonna like go out of their way to make sure it gets back to you yeah it's just such a different feeling of community totally and i think there's something about i don't you know and i i'm not sure about this this is i'm just you know speaking off the top of my head but when you're constantly in a rush and your time, everything feels like rushed and there's no time. I think it prevents people from doing these little nice things. Like even this cab driver probably had to lose money because he had to skip two rides that it would take him the time to bring it back and make sure it got found and do the right thing. And just being able to move a little bit more slowly and intentionally and with the mindset of like, it's more important for me to spend my day doing the right thing than it is for me to spend my day producing as much as possible or being as productive in a financial sense as possible or in a time sense as possible. If we can step back and kind of say, my intention, going back to intentions, my intention for today is to be the best human that I can be. Versus if if that cab driver's intention for the day would be to make as much money as possible that day, he wouldn't have went back and returned the wallet. But also if he felt like it's like something about, I think, like you said, like the community that's fostering that, it's like, that's what we do. Like those are our values as a society are helping each other and collect, making sure we're collectively happy versus like me and myself are the happiest and richest and, whatever I could possibly be. Totally. I was only holding the door for you, my two-year-old son, and not for the woman behind you with two kids and two backpacks. It's crazy. Uh, I hope he's listening, which he's definitely not. Sure he's not. But if you are, (laughs) bad. Let's do another one. Hi, Jordana and Dr. Naomi. Thank you for all that you do. Oversharing is such a highlight of my week. And as a social worker, so much of what you discuss are strategies I can implement in my work with families, which brings me to my trigger. How do you deal when people stigmatize your profession? I'm writing this after just getting home from a dinner. A family was seated next to me and my fiance, and they started talking loudly about the social work profession. They all shared their opinions, including social work is such a dumb profession. You just get all this education and put yourself into debt for nothing. No one wants a social worker. They want a real therapist. No one can support themselves living in New York City as a social worker and many more. To be honest, I'm very proud of my work as a social worker. I work in schools in New York City and make over six figures. I find a great deal of fulfillment in the relationships I have built with my students and families. I have my clinical license and know that I have a strong therapeutic skill set. After an exhausting and challenging work week, I was just hoping to grab a margarita and some tacos to relax on a Friday evening, 
not have to listen to a group of people criticize my profession. I chose not to say something because I could recognize that I was feeling escalated, but now I can't help wishing I spoke up. I'm wondering if it's fair to feel triggered by this. Shouldn't I just dismiss their opinions when I feel confident about my career? I've been subjected to comments like these over the years and expect to continue to hear them. What is the best approach moving forward? Signed, social work my ass off. This is triggering. Yeah. I would say. Extremely triggering. It's so funny to bring it back to our last conversation. I feel like your views towards this kind of profession really are a symbol of your values and the way you view community and the way you view individualism. And like, yeah, if your values are like, make as much money as humanly possible and, you know, have the most stress-free life I could possibly have and it's all like looking out for myself, then yeah, you're going to, these views align with that sensibility. Yeah. I mean, I, I will just say for all the social workers out there, I know that many of them are often overworked and underpaid. And I, because it's a helping profession, feel like that's such an amazing contribution to society. I mean, I wish they were paid more, but the idea that they're not doing it for the money, that they're doing it because they really want to get in at the ground level and help people that are probably the most in need of help of almost anybody in our society is such a beautiful thing. And instead of these people saying, you know what, I really admire social workers because they dedicate so much of their life to doing this work that's very emotionally draining, exhausting, but is they're such an integral part of our society is like lost because they don't make a ton of money and they dedicate a ton of time. So I totally agree that it just shows kind of a lack and similar sense of value and what's important. So shout out to all the social workers. I think y'all are amazing. I know you put a lot of time into everything you do and are often underpaid. So And this one seems to not be, so that's great too, um, if you're happy with what you're making, which is amazing. But if you weren't, it's almost like that doesn't, it's like you're doing even more for society in that sense, because you're probably working in an underserved area where there's not enough money to pay you. So, yeah. And a lot of the times people who don't have a real understanding of any of whatever they're talking about, say blanket statements that are clearly untrue and clearly aren't accurate and just have this like stereotypical view of something in their head that is something they don't really know much about. And people do that all the time with all sorts of different things where they just kind of like say things because they feel like they need to have an opinion about everything. Yes. Yes. I totally agree with that. And I'm sure I'm guilty of doing that about something at some point, like where you're kind of, you don't really know about something about, about something, but the limited amount that you do know, you're like, well, that seems stupid. And usually that comes from not really fully understanding what something is about. So I would just chalk it up to like ignorance, poor values, and feel bad for them instead of feeling angry. Although I can see why it would be very angering because she's probably like heard this before too. And it's kind of annoying. And sometimes people hear that from like their parents over a field they want to go in. And it's also just so rude. So the other lesson learned here is if you're sitting at a restaurant or a place where there's somebody else that's close to you. Like sometimes we'll be sitting at like a basketball game or something. And one of my kids will, you know, if somebody misses a shot or they do, they'll make a comment. And I always look at them and I'm like, that could be their mom sitting on the other side. Like, you don't know who's, who's who, like just say kind things 
put kind energy out there. You don't have to make a comment, a negative comment about anything, especially within earshot of someone else. You don't know who someone else is or what their, you know, situation is. So this is right. wrong on a lot Talk of levels. Talk shit about them in your own house behind Privately. closed door. Yeah, like a normal person. <laughs> like the rest of us. Totally. Totally. Yeah, I agree. This is triggering. I'm sorry you've had to deal with this, but hopefully it helps you strengthen your resolve and your sense of self and you know why you're doing this. Um, and it forces you to kind of think about that again, especially even as you wrote this email, you hopefully can feel better knowing that you're doing this for a reason. If you wanted to make a ton of money, you would have picked a different profession. Yeah. But I would say this is very triggering. I'd give it like an eight. Yeah. Same. I mean, I couldn't imagine you're like out to enjoy dinner. It's like if someone, and there are certain things that people wouldn't do this about. They wouldn't, you know, I don't know. There's just the fact that they just so freely decided to have this conversation loudly is just really. Annoying. Says more about them. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, you're all validated. All these, the two triggers that we had today, I would say definitely worthy of being triggered. Validating all over the place today. <laughs> all right. I think that's our time. Great work today. Oversharing is produced by Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Salz-McCat. Editing by Basilio Perez. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Send your advice emails to oversharing at Betches.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-363-6294. 